0: Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nurse the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, unless you've mastered cooking with lentils. <laughs> There's a lot of really wonderful food that you can do cooking with lentils. And I'm also a person who knows that entrepreneurs change the world. And that's what today's show is grounded on, is the power of business to create the world we all want. Um, with us um, for the entire show is Brett Bull. Um He is the Managing Director of Techstars Farm to Fork Accelerator. He's also a Managing Partner at Bread and Butter Ventures. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Brett. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's fun to have you. And as, as we were saying before, there's a lot of what you do. I mean, it's it's sort of something outside of my wheelhouse, Um and so it was just, I mean, give us, give us a little background about yourself personally.
1: Yeah, no worries. I think it's um, sometimes some of the things we do is outside of my own wheelhouse, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, uh, uh, but I kind of learn as I go. Um, I, was a, I was an entrepreneur for a long time, actually. So um, my background's largely rooted in building companies and trying to start something from nothing. Um, and um, did that for many, many years and had a little bit of success and uh, had a few failures and ran a few companies into the wall. Um, as well. Uh, but I've done it um, both, you know, what's referred to as bootstrapping it, just using some, uh, you know, the, the revenue or the, the money I'm generating from the company and slowly building a company. I've also raised capital um, from investors before and built a company um, using outside money and, uh, and taken both all the way to the point where we sold those companies. And more recently, um, I've moved on to the investing side of the world. So I took off my entrepreneur hat, although I still consider myself an entrepreneur um, and moved into the investing side of the world where um, you know, I'm deploying capital and then supporting the entrepreneurs that we invest in to try and help them build big, big businesses and create change. And I loved what you said at the beginning, I have always said that nobody can uh, nobody can affect change in the world faster than entrepreneur. I I firmly believe that.
0: Oh, I do too. I do too. And AM nine fifty is owned by a person who only owns one radio station. I mean, I think entrepreneurs and ownership are so critical um, to freedom. I mean, (laughs) I I do. And so there's uh, the two things you're doing right now. One is you're the managing director of TechStars Farm to Fork Accelerator. So what is that?
1: Yeah, TechStars is a, a global it's a global platform that helps entrepreneurs succeed. So um, we're actually a really large organization that from the TechStars perspective, and I run our food tech practice. So, um, Techstars is headquartered in Boulder, Colorado. Um, our program is here in the twin cities. Um, uh, our, our office is actually down in St. Paul. Um, and what we do is we take, uh, 10 entrepreneurs, 10 sets of entrepreneurs every year. Um, we invest money in those companies and they actually, and these, co- these entrepreneurs are from all over the world. Um, and they're all focused on, um, entrepreneurship and innovating within the food system. So from on farm all the way to restaurant tech or retail tech. So, you know, we work with companies in the supply chain manufacturing, but they have to have applications into the food world. These 10 companies all come to the twin cities. Um, we usually start in July cause it's much nicer to have them here in the summer. Um, and, uh, and we put them through a three month program. That's largely mentorship driven. So we invest money in those companies. They come here, and then we put them in rooms with a lot of really smart people um, that know a lot about the food system, know a lot about entrepreneurship, um, know a lot about innovation um, or subject matter experts that know about what it takes on an accounting side to be an entrepreneur and build a company or a legal side. So uh, we have a lot of support from the community, um, from the mentorship perspective. Everybody does this. We, we have this saying at Techstars, it's uh, give first. And all these people that help these founders that come through um, all are just donating their time and helping them build these companies. Um, we also have the opportunity in the program to work with Cargill and Ecolab, um, who are great partners, and in, in how they participate is they actually provide a large number of those mentors. So we have about 120 mentors that the companies all meet, and about 40 of them come from Cargill and Ecolab, and you know, Doug Baker, for example, has been a mentor the last three years from Ecolab. Um, so it's all the way up to the executive level of the program, all the way down to subject matter experts. So it's a great opportunity for the entrepreneurs and these large corporations to learn from founders and what it takes to to build something and start something. So it's really fun to watch. Um, uh, and then post-program, after three months of going through this program where we helped them, we also help them with entrepreneurial best practices and a variety of other things that we've learned. Um, you know, we've, uh, added from a Techstars perspective, we worked with about 2,500 startups. Um, wow, 2,500 startups. Yeah, more than, more than 5,000 entrepreneurs worldwide. Um, and so it's a really, you know, we have a lot of best practices and how do you do this well and how, you know, what does it take um, to start a company? I think you know, national statistics around entrepreneurship are about one, only about one in 10 startups actually succeeds. Um, right now, the, the Techstars portfolio, about 87 percent of our portfolio are still active or have been acquired. So only about 10 percent of our portfolio has failed. Um, and so we're, you know, we found that mentorship and um, it's not just about putting money into a company. It's about putting money into a company and then supporting them with the resources that they need. You know, like the first time I started a company, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. And I made a ton of mistakes. Mm-hmm. So that that's the Techstars uh, mantra. That's what we do through the Techstars program. Um, and these companies go off and, you know, sometimes they stay here in the Twin Cities. We've had multiple companies move here um, from it. But, um, you know, our class in 2020, we had 10 companies um, come through and five of them were international. We had a company from Hong Kong. We had one from mm-hmm. India. We had one from uh, Canada. Um, and so literally from all over the world to, to do this program here in the Twin Cities.
0: It is, it's fascinating. Now, so I want to hear some examples of companies um, that have gone through the program. And, and uh, some, I want to hear some success stories of those 87% that are still in business.
1: Yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, there's a really uh, – I mentioned the, the, uh, the company from Hong Kong. They have some really interesting technology that allows you to um, basically process uh, proteins. So they're starting with you know, pork. Um, is, is their go pork and beef for their go-to markets, and it allows you to process these in such a way where it can be held shelf uh, held shelf stable, without um, without being cooled for up to two years. Oh, and so wow. when you think about um, when you think about the uh, impact that that has um, in the the sustainability of the food system, where you reduce spoilage, um, you reduce loss. Um, it's a it has the potential to make a tremendous amount of impact. And um, you know this company's gotten a, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, that's great. That's awesome. I mean, and that's that's like when we are talking about the solutions that entrepreneurs can change the world I and mean, we have so many problems and I, I want to make sure we talk about single-use plastics. That's driving me nuts, right? All these single-use plastics, all the food waste. And so here's someone that they can do things that that reduce those food waste and, and then you're kind of changing the system.
1: Completely. Uh, and, and some of the technology and expertise that Cargill and Ecolab had in – um, in, you know, aseptic packaging, but also in meat production really help has helped this company, you know, probably shave a couple of years off their timeline of getting their products to market in a more effective, efficient manner. And so it's just it really is a mutually beneficial um, relationship coming through the program. But that's that's a really cool one. I mean, I could go through we've had 30 companies over the last three years um, and I could go through each one of them and mm-hmm. tell you a similar story of just like the really interesting technology that they're working on and some are going to succeed and some some won't. Um, but you know, we really are trying to help give them the best chance to innovate and and really fundamentally change the way the food system is operated today.
0: And so, you also the managing partner of Bread and Butter Ventures. So, tell us where that name comes from, Bread and Butter.
1: Yeah, um, two two places. Um, the first is it is uh, one of the nicknames, not the probably the most famous nickname of uh, Minnesota, um, but uh, apparently the bread and butter state was coined. About a hundred years ago, and so it's a it's a General nod Mills to, and Land
0: Lakes, the bread and butter yep. state.
1: It's a nod to it's a nod to Minnesota's history, um, but then it's also um, involves the types of companies that we invest in, so through bread and butter ventures, um, which is a it's a more traditional venture capital firm, where we deploy you know we're we're investing in early stage startups, investing money in early stage startups. Um, uh, we invest in what we consider the bread and butter backbone of the U.S. economy, which is food technology, the food system. Uh, we also invest in health, the health system, and and then in enterprise uh, SaaS, which is enterprise software. All three things that we think you need to um, to have a successful um, economy. You need to have those three things working quite well. And um, Minnesota is uniquely positioned because of our large enterprise presence, um, specifically in health and uh, in food, to to support companies that we invest in through our fund.
0: And I've heard this phrase that the, the ecosystem is so important to um, creating uh, vital areas for entrepreneurs. What does that mean when people refer to needing an ecosystem to create entrepreneurs?
1: Yeah, I mean, it can mean a, a variety of different things, um, but it's, it's. I mean, for anybody out there that's ever tried to start their own company, it's really hard. Um, it is daunting. Most people, oftentimes, people don't even, they have an idea. They don't even know where to get started. Um and so at the basis of having an ecosystem, it's you know having people that you can find that have done it before and say, "Hey, how did you do that?" People that, are, um, that might have had some success or failure trying to start a company, um, having a willingness and openness to talk about you know their experiences, both good and bad, that future entrepreneurs can learn from. So that's, you know, that's a part of it is just having those trailblazers in front of you and having people around you that you can go reach out and reach out to and talk to um, to hopefully prevent some of the bad mistakes they've made and do some of the good things that they've done. But then, you know, it gets even broader than that. Right. It's um, uh, it's things like when an entrepreneur starts a company, it it takes seven, eight years to build it to the point where it's really can be worth a lot. And um, it's going to take capital to do that. So it's having an ecosystem where there's availability of capital to those founders to get it started. To help it grow throughout the throughout their different life stages, um, and so having the capital available, and then there's uh, another piece which can be which can encompass the, the potential customers of that company, right? And So um, here in the Twin Cities, one of the things that we're blessed with is having all of those enterprises, and so you know they mm-hmm. they they could be potential customers um, for the startups.
0: And I know uh, years ago I heard a presentation from Gary Cunningham on, on the importance of um, entrepreneurs in, uh, in, under, uh, in, in BIPOC businesses and really encouraging that ecosystem. And that is one of the entrepreneurs, is um, increasing entrepreneurs uh, within contributors of color is one of the fastest ways to bridge our equity gaps that we have here in the Twin Cities.
1: Yeah, and you can, you know, it's a great way to build and grow um, well, is by starting your own thing the unfortunate part with um, you know diverse founders whether it's from the BIPOC community whether it's from uh, whether it's female founders is when you look at the national percentages of capital that goes to those um, those types of founders or entrepreneurs it is you know very underwhelming relative to you know Um, what goes to white males, people that look like me. Um, Right, right. And and so so,
0: we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back, and we're going to talk about how do we support an ecosystem, um, an entrepreneurial ecosystem that works for all people, and that builds the world that we want, which is clean water and vital soils and um, sun. I want sun right now. But um, you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student in permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who knows that entrepreneurs change the world. And we're talking with Brett Boyle. He's uh, the managing director of Techstar's Farm to Fork Accelerator. He's also a managing partner at Bread and Butter Ventures. So, Brett, let's now talk about some of the businesses that um, uh, at Bread and Butter that shouldn't be hard to say. Bread and butter. <laughs> I'm having a little trouble. Ventures. Um, uh, one of them that people are starting to see is Busy Coffee. So tell us that story.
1: Yeah, um, you know Busy Coffee. It's uh, a locally manufactured company here uh, in the Twin Cities. A um, couple of founders that uh, actually started um, started the company because they were brewing their own cold brew at home. And thought it was better than anything they could get anywhere else. And so that's the genesis of it and where it started. Um, and they've gone through multiple iterations, like. Um, like any entrepreneurs have and have pivoted and have tri- changed and uh, tried different things, they they outsourced manufacturing for a while and um, now they you know they've actually opened their own manufacturing facilities right here. Um, and so it's a cool story. They've been around since 2015, I believe. Um, we we started working with them um, in a more formal way in 2016, shortly after they they founded their company. And now it's not just here you can find their product; you can find it uh, pretty much anywhere in the United States. So it's um uh, it's going pretty well.
0: Great. Now, how hard is it to get a new food product uh, uh, in the stores?
1: Um, uh, really hard, I guess is the answer. I'm probably not the best person to, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't do the work, right? Like, and so, it's I'm not the one executing against these plans for the founders that we work with. Um, I have the I have in the past when I was a founder, but the um, I have the fortunate um, position of being able to help, try and give advice, and, and help. Companies, how I can, but I, you know, it's still all the founders that they're having the success, and and not really me. Um, but you know, shelf in the retail world, they're not making more shelf space, right? Um, you have to replace something that is currently on shelf because um, they're not ma- they're not making more space for you. And so it's one one thing if for any founders or entrepreneurs out there that are working in the CPG world or working in consumer uh, product food space. You have to think about, you know, what are your turn rates? Um, why, how are you going to help that retailer make more money than the thing that you replaced? And it really does come down to numbers um, of, uh, of how you outperform the people on the shelf next to you and how you continue to grow and move from, you know, farmer's market to, you know, uh, local single location store to regional to national retailers, is you continue to collect that data about how you turn and how you sell and um, and pitch it to the buyer at the next next level, and um, it it really does take a tremendous amount of time and it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, you have to have a great product uh, at the end of the day too. You know, it's food; people are going to eat it or drink it, and so it has to taste great, it has to be phenomenal, it has to be. It can't just be slightly better than other options that are out there. It has to be a step change from what's out there.
0: And then another local company that people will recognize is Local Crate. You want to tell us a little bit about Local Crate?
1: Sure. Um, You know, Local Crate started as a more traditional um, direct-to-consumer meal kit company um, back in, also in 2015. And, uh, you know, meal kits were exploding at that point. Um, And a lot of them have, you know, have since come under fire around, um, you know, uh, for their performance. Local Crate's actually um, taken a bit of a different uh, model and path, and they started to um, rather than they still do some direct to consumer stuff, and you still can get that here in the Twin Cities. But from a national perspective, and and look, Crate also has a national presence now. Um, they've actually started going through retailers, and so um, you can buy you can buy their kit through a grocery store, through a Target, for example. Um, and and it's been really a bit of a game changer for them as they think about that and being uh, rather than the direct to consumer angle, going through grocery and you talked a little bit about single-use plastics and whatnot. One of the knocks mm-hmm. on meal kit delivery services are not a packaging that comes in with that. Um, you know, it's the the ice to keep it cool. It's the plastic. It's the box. Um, each individual um, wrapped thing. When you go through a retailer, um, you can drastically reduce the amount of packaging required to buy it. Also, there's a lot of financial reasons why it makes sense to do it that way, as well.
0: Okay, and so yeah, let's let's jump into that alternative plastic and packaging because I, I mean, it is really starting to drive me crazy. And I, you know, I always buy something, and I'm mad at myself for still buying the single use plastics because it's just it's it's ubiquitous. And I know all the problems. I mean, um, you know, there's I've heard that there's now more plastic in the ocean than plankton, and I mean, it's just it's it's not a good product. So tell us some of the solutions out there to this. Single source plastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a variety of different ways that people are ta- trying to tackle um, the reduction of single-use plastic, um, and, the, and in the food world, it's so hard because um, you still have to make sure that the food is safe, right? And so if you, you can't um, you can't uh, give on food safety because um, you know you would also have really bad consequences in that side of the world. So. Um, so plastic is great at keeping food preserved and safe and the longevity of shelf life. And so the unique challenge around plastics and food is how do you um, package something in such a way where it can be shelf-stable for as long as it possibly can um, and maintain quality of that product and maintain food safety, right? And because if, if, if you all of a sudden, even if you just have the food safety piece and the quality piece, um, if the shelf stability piece comes down, all of a sudden you're going to be having a lot more food waste, which is also terrible for the environment. Um, and so there's a bunch of unique challenges um, of you know why it's hard to remove plastic from the systems. Um, a couple of different channels or angles you're seeing people take. One is um, there is a ton of science going into alternatives that can check all three of those boxes that are more of a compostable or biodegradable from um, a biodegradable resource from you know we've looked at startups that are doing things with um sugarcane husks and using that to create packaging from sugarcane husks you're looking at things um people that are using um thinking about making the packaging edible in their own sense so we actually mm-hmm. looked at a company that was doing edible straws so um you know it, it's a straw that once you put it in liquid it would last for uh, up to an hour or two but then you can eat it at the end if you wanted to and obviously if you didn't it would degrade um also, another angle that uh, potentially gets talked about a little bit less is actually just by improving the food system and um, making the time from, you know, call it harvest to getting eaten consumption um, by, by reducing that time, you actually reduce the, the the requirements around shelf stability. And so it potentially enables you to use um, a material that isn't um, as long lasting or or. You know, won't keep the product quality and product food safety um, for as long as a plastic would, but it's compostable now. So you see a lot of movements around um, local marketplaces where you're um, connecting consumer to farmer directly, so you cut out the middle people. And um, different, but different operational startups or technology startups in in the logistics space of food are also tackling it in kind of an off way, where by just removing a lot of the steps in the food system, you could potentially reduce the amount of plastic needed in transportation.
0: So we're talking about how entrepreneurs can um, can help um, change the world. We keep using that expression, "change the world," um, but what what does that mean? How, why why is it that uh, what are we what are we striving for?
1: Um, gosh, it's a, well, that's it depends on the entrepreneur, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Different uh, different people are striving for different things. Um, you know, I think that entrepreneurs that are focused on innovation in the food system. A lot of them, one of the really cool parts about being an investor and getting to be um, a participant in the community, the entrepreneurial community in the food system, is that a a lot of these startups, I'd say the majority of startups do have a mission attached to them. Um, yeah, and you know, that's—I
0: mean—that—that that is the fun thing that I think is happening in the business world. We really are trying to attach our business, our, our our business to our purpose, and I think it's about not just being efficient but also being effective. So we're going to take another break, and we'll be right back. We'll be talking with Brett Broll with a uh, TechStars Farm to Fork Accelerator and uh, the managing partner at Bread and Butter Ventures. <laughs> Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland, a student in permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who knows that entrepreneurs change the world. Um, I've, I've, and I, I, how, where do, where, what world do we want? And I, I had a fun conversation this last week with um Dr. Paul Campbell, and we talked. He talked about um our society. It's been kind of we have these ideas of efficiency, and he was talking about Taylor back at the turn of the century, and how you know we wanted an efficient work work workplaces and how our business community is kind of deeply rooted in that, that that concept of efficiency. But what about effectiveness? And what would an effective business community look like? And, and I think we're coming to a point where we have a real shared understanding that an effective business community would figure out how to eat in a way that honors topsoil. Um, there's Horrible news out this week about the the loss of topsoil. I mean, it's you know we we really do have a food system that is not sustainable, and so how do we increase that topsoil? How do we how do we improve water? Um, and yet, and then and then how do we even help each other start these businesses? Um, and our, last week we were talking about the power of shopping local and the power of of the local communities to create more jobs. But to actually go out there and start a business is a lot of hard work. And so with us right now is Brett Boyle, and he, um, he is the manager partner of Bread and Butter Ventures. He's also the managing director of Techstars Farm to Fork program. So do you agree with what I said there, Brett, about how do we create an effective food system?
1: Um, I mean, I think we need to create a more effective food system than what we currently have. Um, uh, I think how to do it is – I don't think there's any one answer of how to do it. Um, I think it's a really, really difficult challenge.
0: It is, and there's some of these things that you know we may not even agree on, but at least let's you know we can open up the space and, and try to try to because that's how how we how we become effective. And so, um, so I can go to Techstar, and I like your. I mean, let's all agree we want a sustainable food system. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, um, tell us a little bit about um, how Techstar looks at the sustainability of the food system.
1: I mean, I think we look at it broadly. Uh, I guess is the answer, and we think about how do how can we have how can we help um, technology startups um, come in and innovate and disrupt something that is um, um, you know difficult to disrupt. Uh, you know, so we are taking moonshots, right? The types of companies that we're investing mm-hmm. in are a lot of them aren't going to work, um, but if the ones that do work will have uh, you know should should have a massive effect on the food system or um, really create change uh, to the in the food system, and so. I think that's our approach is how do we invest in and support entrepreneurs that are taking really big swings at innovation within food? Um, How do we support them? How do we help them get capitalized? How do we help, you know, increase their chances of success?
0: So one of the areas under a sustainable food system is carbon mitigation and markets from farm to manufacturing to logistics. That's kind of a mouthful. What does that mean?
1: I mean, I think it's what it means is that there's a lot of opportunities within the food system to um, uh, to reduce food waste, to reduce energy consumption, to reduce water consumption. Right. That doesn't mean I think a lot of people, when they think about food and sustainable food, they automatically go to farm. They automatically think about the farm and the farm, and the farm. And you actually mentioned like soil um, in the opening in this segment. But the, um, to me, actually, I actually think a lot more about post-farm, post-harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot more about supply chain, logistics, manufacturing all the way to retail. Um, especially in developed markets like the United States, um, a lot of the food waste actually occurs not on farm. It actually occurs, um, you know, post-harvest, post-pickup, whether that's in the supply chain um, at the restaurant level or at the consumer level. And so, um, and just food waste in of itself is a, is a huge emitter of carbon. Right, um, I think food waste is uh, if you if it was a country, food waste would be the third largest emitter of carbon on the planet.
0: Wow, um, that's the first time I've heard that. Uh, food waste would be the uh, third largest country, uh, third largest. Say that again.
1: Yeah, if it was if food waste was a country, the amount of the the carbon impact of food waste on the planet, um, I believe, would be the third largest um, behind China and the United States. So, um,
0: share with us some of the good news stories how people are solving these problems through businesses. I mean. I think we're just hungry to hear some of those things, some of the innovative solutions out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, from the food waste perspective, I mean, uh, some of the popular ones that people might've heard of is there's the ugly food movement. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, produce that doesn't look exactly like what you expect it to look like in the grocery store. So you're seeing all kinds of start of popping up around the ugly food space. Um, um, and how do we make sure that, that food doesn't get just thrown away? It actually gets picked up and um, in, in used and consumed. Um, we have um, we've we worked with a startup that went through our program in 2019 called Food, um, with the PH. And they're using computer vision um, to understand what types of food are getting thrown out at, um, you know, a grocery store level. So hot bars at grocery stores or um, in other food service arenas or restaurants, um, in the back of house. So it's not at a consumer's home. But, you know, if you're throwing out a tr- whole tray of broccoli, Um, at the end of the day, every day, it actually captures and and takes that data, and it can feed that data back to the producer, the person that's actually doing it. It's mutually beneficial for everyone, right? Because if they're throwing out less food, they're making more money um, at the end of the day, but it's also good for the environment that can reduce food waste. So that's another example of just something innovative um, in, in the food, in the reduction of food waste space. And I guess the third bucket that we've worked with and that you see out there is Upcycling, it's an upcycling movement, so yeah,
0: we had Sue Marshall on with the um upcy- upcycle, So they've been working with like a, a nut company in Minneapolis and trying to uh, uh, upcycle some spent grains from uh, the local breweries. So tell us a little bit more about upcycling in case someone missed that show that That's a fun new um, way of solving the food waste problem,
1: yeah, so upcycling is uh, taking something that uh, usually from the food manufacturing or food production process taking something that has been a byproduct of food manufacturing and turning it into something new um the company that we've worked with is called renewal mill um, and they take a a byproduct of the soy manufacturing process called okara and they turn it into flour Um, and so they turn it into a flour product um so they're taking something that has historically had to been thrown out um, or composted and turning it into a, a product that can be consumed and um there's also in many of these upcycling plays or startups there's actually typically additional health benefits to that as well, right? So in this case, there's, um, there's more healthy ingredients in Okara flour than there is in a, a traditional flour. And so um, that's the, the general gist of the upcycling movement. And you do, you see it a lot. There's a lot of actually, um, the, you mentioned brewery grains. That's a really popular space for startups right now is, um, mm-hmm. you know, partnering with breweries, taking the grain and turning it into something. Um, that's a really popular one. So you do see it across the entire food system.
0: And this may be an, an area that we're not, um, that, that I have some concerns about. What do you mean when you hear the phrase biotechnology?
1: I love biotech. Okay. Um, um, so when I hear biotechnology, um, a lot of what I think is um, creating innovative new ways to allow the world to feed the ever-growing population over the next 20, 30 years um, in a sustainable manner. I mean, you know, um, are you going to be able to convince the entire planet to stop eating protein? Probably not. Um, is um, traditional methods of, um, of growing protein sustainable? No. Right. I mean, um, cattle farms are a terrible emitter of, of carbon. Um, but if we can do it in a more effective, efficient way through molecular biology, through cell biology, right, growing, um, growing meat um, from cells, that might be a more efficient, effective way, um, a more sustainable way to, um, to create protein.
0: And this um, is this is one place where I I'm I'm I, I, I just I just know that I come from a species that used uh gallons of mercury to harvest gold. And since there was money involved, there's always a lot of um reason to use the mercury um, to harvest gold and there's not enough reason to be cautious about it so and I'm not saying that all biotechnology would be bad I don't I don't know enough I did have um, um, uh, Ken Roseberg from the uh, non-GMO report on um, uh, uh, last week and, and and you know the, the idea that I, I, I feel like um, one thing that I'm really grounded on is that all life is sacred and so I know um, some businesses are trying to make salmon or mix salmon with some other animals and uh, some other sea life and making a salmon grow twice as fast because that would work in the market. So that's one of the things that I would love to bring into the marketplace is some real regulation when it comes to honoring Uh the sacred nature of life. Um, I don't know how you might respond, or I mean, I'm. and again, I want to you know, it's not like all things are bad or you know I don't, but but I when I hear of biotech, that's what I think of. I, I have this image of this gallon of mercury used around the gold, and I have this image of sacred life, and i'm I'm not sure i I trust the biotechnology industry to regulate um, in a way that um, is um, living.
1: I mean, at the, end of the, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't disagree that there needs to be regulation around the way that food is created or grown, um, and you need to do it in a safe way. Um, but I also think if, if you, you know, actually GMOs is an interesting example. If, the, if we didn't use GMOs in, in growing crop or growing food in the world, the population would starve. GMOs, see, are, see, GMOs and, are and this, is,
0: this is where, and I, I don't want to be too controversial, but I also want to also open up the space because I don't believe that at all. I think that when, especially this is something that COVID had taught us too, that um, that really a lot of small producers produce food. Um, I've done permaculture. I know there's a, a, a movement towards agroecology ecology and the agroecology ecology movement um, talks about um, how much, I mean, we, we can grow more food. For instance, here's a very simple example. A a regeneration farm down in Northfield, they put hazelnuts and they have chickens. And so the chickens are naturally feeding the hazelnuts fertilizers. And the hazelnuts provide food for the pigs. So so the thing is, um, you know, if if we're grounded in this idea of the sacredness of life, then I think some of these other solutions can compete in the marketplace. Um, But our marketplace has sort of risen out of the Samuel Taylor's. It's risen out of this idea of efficiency efficiency. So, I mean, I know, and, 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 but again, I also know that I don't know everything and I'm not, you know, I'm not, and I want to do that. And I I also want to, um, I know there's this, um, I also want to make sure we get in a little bit on FinTech and food. And so, um, you can talk a little bit about that as well.
1: Sure. I mean, you know, I think that, um, I guess my, my opinion is that in at where we're at today as a world, um, you 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 couldn't grow enough food or create enough food um to feed the population of the planet without using gmos or using other um farming techniques and um in and, and, you know if you look at it like the population has grown be- um, largely because of the accessibility of food um and so as as you know different types of technology or um were used to make the yields increase of a fa- of a grain farm for example as you know as wheat got taller and taller and taller and produced more and more and more per acre, people also produced more and more people um, because there was an abundance of food and there was the ability to feed it. and when food has been scarcer, um, less people have been produced. right. And so at the point we're at now um, on the planet, without I mean without having yields the way we have yields and without using uh, modern technology, You'd have to go backwards in that path. Uh, in see, see,
0: here's the interesting thing. is Dr. Law, who just won a World Food Prize, and uh, Dr. David Montgomery, um, who's also written a couple different books, Dr. David Montgomery talks about we're entering the fourth thing, uh, the fourth form of um, the revolution. So this idea that... Um, And we're going to need to take a break, so I'm going to just do my 30-second rant and then we'll come back in the last segment and we can wrap this up or talk about other issues too. But, um, but, um, you know, um, this idea that we create a a sustainable world through technology only – I think we have to have both technology and relationship. It's not an either-or. And I think they can come together in ways that is fun to see someone like Dr. Ratan Law, who just won the World Food Prize, talking about the soil quality and how we build that up and how we can exchange information so we can find out the, both the most efficient and the most effective food system. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950.
1: Let me tell you what I know
0: Like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we're talking about um, innovation, and we're talking about businesses and food systems. And with us right now is Brett Boyle. He is the managing director of Techstars Farm to Fork Accelerator. He's also a managing partner at Bread and Butter Ventures. Um, so, Brett, I mean, before we went to break, we got to, you know, there's one area we disagree on, and that is tech, uh, biotechnology. And, but actually, I, I, I'm glad. I mean, I, th- I think that um, too often the, the two sides on the GMO um, space. They never talk to each other, and that was also the point of um, Charles Mann's book, um, "The Wizard and the Prophet." Is that the two sides have to we have to kind of open up space to talk to each other? Um, but did you want to comment at all?
1: No, I mean I think that tech, I, saying anything blankets bad is is probably not a you know not a right path to go down. Right? Exactly. I am I, a firm believer that technology is can and should be used as a powerful good. Right, and without um, without technology and um, without technology advancements, we're not going to be able to build a sustainable food system um, over the next thirty years. Yeah, um, and it certainly has to be done in the right way. Um, but I'm also very much a um, it can be done in a right way. It can be done in a way where big big businesses are built, and um, and I also think that like oftentimes large businesses have the most most. Ability, the largest ability to affect change. Um, I totally... It starts, with, I, I,
0: it starts with an entrepreneur. I 1,000% agree. And so how we open up the space where we can be communicating and sharing our information, because I think, you know, all of us have kids and we all got to have, you know, we want our grandkids and we want a sustainable world. And without a doubt, a business is the way that, that we can create that. Um, and so um, I, I know there's so much more I want to get into. So let's, let's briefly talk on fintech in the food system.
1: Sure, um, you know, we can talk through, I mean, fintech, it just, that's technology that has to do with, um, you know, financial transactions, and, and one of the things that is really difficult in food systems is uh, money flows. Um, oftentimes, like, you know, the farmer gets the short end of the stick um, in the food system, and, they you know, they they put a lot of the work in and effort in, and they, they um, have this, the lowest retail price, so they sell it for this amount of money. Um, but um, there's all kinds of problems in the food system around financing so that's access to capital for farmers um, access to insurance there's a lot of unknowns in um, things like potential yields like how weather effect is how weather is going to affect yields. so it actually makes it really hard to have strong um, make strong financial decisions in a lot of um, agricultural markets Um, but it doesn't just stop at the farm it's across the entire food system for you know for cpg entrepreneurs you know, it takes a lot of capital to um, to start producing a product and make a product and to start scaling a product. And oftentimes they have to put lay that out first before they can, um, you know, bef- before they can put inventory on shelves at a store. And so there's all kinds of disconnects in, in the financing of, of the food system um, right now. And there's some really cool startups and really cool technology coming into t- to play to fix that.
0: Yeah, and I um, I, I know I'm just, I put a little pitch the um, Open Food Network, um and they work here doing with the uh, co-op circuits and the Laura's Center for Sustainable Food Systems and the Data Food Consortium. They're going to present a w- webinar on March 9th on who owns the data in our food system, and I find that really really fascinating. Um, who owns the data? Because you know, again, it's this is food freedom radio. How do we own our own data? Um, and and uh, and and so. And I know these issues are so complex in some ways. I feel like it's it's hard to express them all. And um, But um, it, it, so I don't know if you have any comments on um, on that food data and how important that how, how much um, how much economic activity goes around harvesting data.
1: I mean, data across it's not just food, but I mean, every in, in every vertical, um, there's a lot of talk about data and data privacy and. The value of data and there's a lot of arguments all around what the actual value is and um when if you bring it back to the the fintech side um or to the financing of these companies um being able to understand you know yields from farms and how frequently they hit different yields and commodity the prices of the the crop that they produce um all of those types of the data pieces or data points are really important or can be really important to mm-hmm. um, help make a better financing decision or to give a loan, to give a loan to that company. And so, um, and if, if, you know, in, in that situation, that farmer is probably, um, uh, well-incented to provide that type of data because if they provide it, um, they might, um, reduce the cost, their costs of that loan, right? Their, their interest rate, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah. I mean,
0: Oh, I'm sorry. You know, this one thing about recording with just over the phone. I'm so used to to doing it in person so you don't get the body language to express things. But we're down to our last two minutes. I want to give you a chance to shout out and um, say whatever, if if people want to get more information or how they can find out more about you or anything else you may want to say.
1: No, I mean, uh, my big thing is if you know an entrepreneur, um, if you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, just do it. Like you know, um, start a company. If you have an idea, you start working towards. Start trying to sell something. Start trying to build something. Well, um, if that's not if that's not your thing, um, you probably know an entrepreneur. and Do what you can to support that person. Help them out. Um, you know, uh, make an introduction for them. Give them some advice. Um, get involved in some way, shape, or form. We need more entrepreneurs, especially in Minnesota. We need we, more entrepreneurs.
0: We do, and that's. I mean, I would love to. I would. There's so many ideas I have, but wouldn't would be great if anyone could just have a business? So someone could create kits that people can have their own farmer markets kit, be at the farmer market, but they can have, here's a kit, everything you need to be at the farmer's market and help people with their business. Or maybe there can be new technology that's about uh, digital freedom. And so, yes, you want to buy and sell, but you also want to know where your information's at. This is where you can buy and sell and know where your information's at. Or there's somebody like me who doesn't want to um, experiment with biotechnology. Here's the food I can have that I know that I can trust. And so, um, but I also want to give you a chance now to just reach out and say anything else you may want to say.
1: No, I, I think that's it. I, I always like to end with um, support, support some entrepreneurs. Go, go help them build big businesses. That's a, it's, it's why I do what I do. Um, and, you know, like I said, no, nobody can change. Nobody can affect change in the world fast an entrepreneur can. And- there's a lot of things that probably need fixing. So uh, to help an entrepreneur build something great.
0: Well, and that's it. And there, I mean, the bread and butter, this is, um, I, it's, it is, Minnesota is the land of General Mills and Land lakes. and we do bread and butter that creates jobs and uh, local economies. It, it it helps in so many ways to build out that community. Um, and and to hear about all the innovation and the innovation that we're going to need, because we, you know, we, the, between the climate change and, and the problems of feeding um, a, a growing world of seven billion people, I mean, we need to have innovation. So I thank you so much, Brett Bull with techstars.com, Techstars uh, Techstars Farm to Fork Accelerator, and also the managing partner of Bread and Butter Ventures. Um, And thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.